Hi, I'm Dee Sterling. I'm a lover of language and languages. I'm a storyteller. I'm also a businesswoman and the co-founder of Center for Entrepreneurs. Welcome to my podcast, Double Espresso with Dee. Over coffee, a very strong one in my case, I will get curious with my guests about their journeys in life and business and how they practice living courageous, creative and interesting lives. Hi everyone, welcome to my podcast, Double Espresso with D. I am super excited today to have my beautiful friend, Rana Brown-Tahar, as my guest. Hi, Rana, how are you? I'm good, Dee. It's so good to see you today. Thank so you So good to me. see you. No, it's such a pleasure. So, Rana, you are in New York, so super excited to have my beautiful international guest. And um, for those that are actually watching, we have another very, very special guest, um, Reese, who is the cutest dog on the face of the planet. Hello, my gorgeous. Reese is waving <laughs> at you all. And Reese is Rana's constant companion, whom I met some years ago when you were in London. So yeah. thank you so much for joining us. So Rana, you are the founder and creative director of Rana Jewels. You're based in NYC. And I would love to give our guests a very short little rundown on your incredible journey so far. And then we'll dive right in. So you grew up in California. And I guess there's a creative connection that you nurtured there, living in nature, on the water, which really has been a driving force for you becoming an entrepreneur and launching your business some years ago. You went to university, University of California, Berkeley. You have a master's from Sotheby's Institute of Art. You are a trained gemologist. And after working for a number of years at Sotheby's, notably in fine jewelry, you decided to take the leap, the entrepreneurial leap, and launch your own business. Now, I can't even believe it, but that was almost four years ago that you launched the business, and right? Yes, it has flown. It's crazy. It's crazy. And often people want to, you know, there are a lot of people who are creative and they love the idea of working with jewels and gold or silver or creating a jewelry line. And many people start, but they don't quite get there. In your case, um, you've sort of taken on the world in the most incredible way. Um, you know, I remember, you know, when you started and today you have reach across the globe. You know, you started in New York. It's your hometown, has been for some time. But at working with local craftspeople, always with an eye to, you know, skilled locals collaborating with you, having a mindful and conscientious approach in terms of environmental impact and so forth. And now, you know, you've kind of taken the world by storm. So I'm super proud of you. It's a huge achievement and it's only the start. And, you know, you have been featured on the pages of everything from the New York Times to Harper's Bazaar in many countries and regions, uh, Marie Claire, Vanity Fair, and the list goes on. So, I mean, just, just incredible. So, Rana, where did it all start? Like, let's just go back to the beginning. Um, I love the story, but it'd be really interesting for you to share, you know, the kind of genesis of Rana Jewels. Yeah, so the collection started long before I even knew I wanted to be in jewelry. It started when I was nine, <laughs> really, if we're going all the way back. You said to go all the way back. It started when I was nine. Um, my mom grew up in Laguna Beach, California, and we used to go down there for vacations. 
and she would always take me to the tide pools, which was a big deal because it's searching for treasure and there's always different sorts of shells and wildlife and sea urchins and sea anemones. Uh, and beautiful. it was a beautiful time in my memory. And she explained this one shell in particular, it's called a coffee bean shell. And it's something you'll see if you look on my website, it comes back again and again. It's sort of a, a bean that looks like a coffee bean, that's its name. And it has these really beautiful little grooves throughout it. And they're very hard to find. Uh, by the end of the day, we had found two shells. And for some reason that memory just burned itself into both of our minds. And sometimes we have those really strong memories and sometimes something will happen and somebody will be like, remember that time? And you'll be like, no, totally, totally. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite of that. I didn't know it, but my mom kept those shells in her safe deposit box for many I years. I love this story. I know, because they were among her most precious possessions. My mother and I are very sentimental and nostalgic people, so it doesn't necessarily correlate to the value of something always. Sometimes it's more about a memory, which in this case exactly is. So when I graduated from Berkeley, my mother presented me with a bracelet. I'm not wearing it today, but I usually almost am. A bracelet made of the shells. I then began a career in jewelry on my own. I became a graduate gemologist uh, through the GIA, and I ended up becoming a specialist in the jewelry department at Sotheby's, all the while wearing this bracelet, constantly getting feedback on it. Clients loved it. Sorry, you can't have one. It's a one-off, right? (laughs) Not for sale. And when I decided that I wanted to go out on my own, I realized, you know, there's a lot of contemporary jewelers out there and there's a lot of people who want to make this work. So if I want to do this, I need to figure out what my perspective is, what my point of view is and what makes me unique in the market. How did you go about doing that? Because sorry, if I might interject that, you know, that is a really difficult thing to do. And as you say, there is, you know, of course, of different levels of quality and artistry and creativity but there's so many things in that jewelry space be it you know stuff that is very cheap through to you know the most exotic incredible creations by made by master jewelers how did you go about working out what your point of view was what your voice was in that very very crowded market yeah it wasn't instantaneous it was sort of I started turning over the idea of what makes a jewel live on and become really special and what makes design unique while I was a specialist. You know, I was doing appraisals, I was doing condition reports, I was counting every single diamond, determining total carat weight uh, in so many pieces. We had multiple sales a year. Of course. So it was impossible not to become just obsessed with the concept of what makes a jewel that historic special jewel half of it is craftsmanship and the other half is memory in my formulation so that's something that you know you bring to it as a buyer or I bring to it as you know the person at the trunk show telling you about the piece and then the other pieces it has to last it has to be unique 
So when you started out, what did that look like? Because obviously you'd gained this incredible experience at Sotheby's. You'd been working with unique pieces. And I'm sure there was an awful lot of learning that you took from that into your business and your craft today, which I'd love to hear from you about. But how did you go about it? And what were the challenges, if there were any major ones at that time, as you kind of left that world behind? Gosh, I mean, first it was really just perfecting the shell. It was taking a little shell, making molds of it that were perfectly replicated in solid gold. So uh, it was a little different from the version my mother had made me. We were going in after the fact and sandblasting into the tiny grooves. And when you have these shells, they are exact replicas of shells. Uh, And that alone took a really long time to master because there's a lot of different steps in the jewelry making process. There's the mold making, the polishing, the finishing, tumbling and stone setting. And it takes, you know, quite a lot of, of determination to figure that out in and of itself. I didn't know how to do no, any. Quite, Cause this was all new, right. And in a way, probably, you know, it's great what you don't know. I think sometimes oh, because gosh, if you even stood back, what, what you know now, you probably go, oh, you know what? That just took me a year. I, it's too long. I don't want to go that down that road, right? But it's the sense of adventure and discovery, right? Yeah. There, I mean, there were so many aspects to starting a company that had no concept of, you know, the production in and of itself in, on 47th Street in New York is extremely overwhelming. I had no production manager. I didn't know that was somebody I needed to hire until – you know, the last six months is the first time I've ever had a production manager. Up until then, I've been doing it all myself. Right. What were the other things that you you had to master that you didn't even ever imagine that you might have to kind of get your arms around and learn? So, you know, in, in listening back on your podcasts, there's so many people in this world who know from the beginning that they want to be entrepreneurs, but that was not the case for me at all. Uh, in fact, it's an extremely overwhelming, scary word for me. All I knew is that I wanted to be creative. So it's been a real step-by-step building block process from creating one shell out of gold then figuring out who do I go to to set diamonds in this and how do I figure out who the best person is to manage all of our orders? How do I figure out how to get an e-commerce site, how much inventory do I need to order? Right, because it's all about the sales. I mean, it's every single direction. And here's the thing, though, what I love about your story so far, and, you know, like it really is the beginning, right? It's not even four years that you've been doing this, but I think there's a misconception that, you know, every entrepreneur is absolutely certain of, you know, what they want to do. Some For some people, it's like you just expressing their creativity in a way that can be shared. It's almost that fundamental. It could be building something, but they don't quite know what that looks like until they come across the idea that makes them fly. And then they go the whole way. I also think that there's a uh, an erroneous view that, you know, to be an entrepreneur, you have to have this aspiration to build uh, you know, a global business with 50,000 employees and be the next Facebook, Google, whatever. An entrepreneur is simply someone who's going out and doing it, you know. And I think, you know, we certainly need more more entrepreneurs, be it individuals building 
in powerful but smaller contexts from a human capital perspective, right? It's not about just loads of employees and billion dollar businesses. And, you know, as we know, when you build a business, it costs a lot. You've got to feed everybody. You've got to pay everybody. There are an awful lot of costs associated with it. But, you know, I wanted to say that because I feel strongly about that because the same values are intrinsic, even if you don't recognize them or someone you know, doing something um, without this massive structure or aiming even to have a huge structure is doing, you know? I think we all need to recognize that. What was the thing that got you most excited, despite the fact that you were obviously on this journey, you were learning a lot, there were challenges because there was all this stuff you didn't know and you had to work out and you'd never had that experience before. When did the excitement come? When did you really feel, gosh, I'm actually doing this, this is this is real? Gosh, there have been a few moments like that along the way, but as soon as people started buying the product. I mean, that's what it, it's all about is to see an order come in from Texas or Alaska or Hawaii or the UK. When I visited the UK, we met a lot of clients yeah. there. You know, the first few sales you make, they're always to friends and friends of friends and you can sort of trace it out. And then all of a sudden, orders start coming in and you don't know where they're coming from. And that was hugely gratifying. Right. Um, now wholesalers are you know contacting us for larger orders so we've had to figure out in this last covid year how to scale our business and accommodate that demand but for for me the way i've grown the business is has been just step by step and when that demand comes then i'll figure it out i had no idea you know half the things that i was going to need to learn from marketing emails to do I need to do SMS? So I I don't hire anybody for any job until I've done it myself first. So oh, that's a brilliant policy. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the most challenging thing of the whole sort of ecosystem of things, right from you know, the polishing of the shell right through to, you know, the marketing? What 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 did you find the biggest challenge personally? Biggest challenge for me is probably the business side, I want to spend my time designing the next collection and telling you about, you know, our brand DNA and, you know, our commitment to sustainability and all of these things that mean so much to me. I don't want to spend time figuring out workers' comp insurance and, uh, you know, payroll. And yeah, I mean, the I know. that I, know. I spend a lot of time learning how to do which are could not be less interesting to me but are so important to the foundation of a company so oh, totally and to make it function right and to make it run properly and to make it be sustainable so on the subject of sustainability Rana I mean obviously I mean I know you and I know how fundamental this is to you as a human being and someone who loves our planet um but let's talk about what that means in the context of business and the business and the jewelry world because obviously you know, there are a lot of critics. I mean, you know, on one extreme, you've got sort of the blood diamond type situations. You have, you know, upsetting the earth and its equilibrium by mining. Um, and I guess that can even go into, um, you know, like gold, how you use gold sustainably, which I know is a big theme for you. Also, even human rights, because there have been a lot of issues with poor treatment of laborers in mines and elsewhere, you know, for the jewelry trade. So, Talk us through a little bit how you've handled that, because those are your values in life. You know, you've had to look at how you translate that into a commercial venture. What has your approach been and how is that going? 
Absolutely. I mean, sustainability and ethics and jewelry was something that was core to the foundation of the brand from the beginning. It wasn't something we talked about in our brand story until more recently, which was exciting. We did that because our clients were asking us these questions and we realized that that was something we needed to make really clear. But at the end of it all, we haven't actually changed a thing. We've just started telling the story. Right. So um, we practice giving back uh, and sustainability really at every juncture from gold we use, which is 100% recycled, 18 karat gold. It's re-recycled here in the U.S. The stones we use are ethically sourced, depending on which stone we can tell you where exactly it's come from. I think transparency in diamond mining and stone mining is is the way of the future for jewelry. In some cases, we work directly with the mine. For example, we work with a wonderful mine called the Muzo Emerald Mine, which is in Colombia. It's a vertically integrated mine that gives back to its local community through local canteens and healthcare, and it employs locals. And it also, you know, Colombia is historically the origin of the finest emeralds in the world. They don't use huge explosives, and they're very mindful of the environment in mining. So that's a relationship that has been really important to me. Right. We use carved emerald leaves from their mine. And then another mine we work with is called the Zimbabwe Aquamarine Mine, which is in Zimbabwe. It's an all-women's mine. Women in that area of the world are, in a lot of cases, the, pr- the primary breadwinner uh, for their families, and employment opportunities are few and far between. So it's a wonderful opportunity for them to be able to support their families. Fantastic. Yeah, it's been recently featured in the New York Times. And there's a lot of, you know, pride in that area that this mine has been growing. So that's where we source our aquamarines. And then for other stones, we work, you know, with Mining Canada, we work, um, you know, make sure that all of the stones are polished by adult laborers. Um, We work with a lapidary in Antwerp. Um, We just make sure that at every step of the process, you know, human rights and um, the ethical treatment of people, their wage is accomplished across the board. No, it's so important. And it's also very, I mean, you make it sound easy, but I know that that has been a journey because it's not easy to achieve that. And I also love the fact that you're working with people locally who are craftspeople in New York, because that's also supporting the local ecosystem, isn't it, as well? What is your view, Rena, on um, you know, all the um, experimentation and increasing discussion around stones grown in laboratories, diamonds grown, you know, above ground, shall we say? What do you think of that? And do you think that and what's what's the direction there in terms of take up by the market and future longevity? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting concept. Uh, Lab-grown diamonds have been around for a while. In most cases, I don't like it because of the extreme environmental stressors that those factories put out into the environment. Think about it. You're recreating thousands of years of pressure under the ground to create a diamond in a lab. So that's really harmful to the environment in a lot of places. Right. Some labs have haven't done 
research recently, but one lab I really like is Diamond Foundry, which is in Northern California, and they're a carbon neutral lab. So I do use natural stones. If a client requested a synthetic stone, I would only use a stone, a synthetic diamond from Diamond Foundry. Right. Tell me, coming on to, you know, the creative process for you, and what you're working on today and producing, who is your client? Because I mean, I feel that you, you know, everyone's your client. <laughs> but for you, who do you design for? I know often you have private commissions and so forth. There are very specific commissions for clients. It could be a special gift or a wedding and some such. But who would you define as your woman? And how would you define for people who don't know you yet, you know, what you do and, and who your ranges are for? I'm designing for myself at the end of the day. I wear my jewels, so I want to design things that I want to wear. I want to be covered in golden shells all the time. <laughs> I, want to, I want to wear things that are unique. I don't want to have, you know, the same thing that I see on every other girl in New York City. I want to stand out in my fashion. Fashion is a huge way that I express myself and that, you know, from, from my clothes to my jewels. I'm always looking for something that's different, that expresses my personality, which is like a little quirky, a little bit. Totally, totally. And you have fantastic style. You really do. And I think a lot of women, you know, are also looking to discover something new. So that's who I'm designing for. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's resonated. I think in this last year as well, um, the jewelry industry is has grown. Our company has grown. It's, I didn't expect it to, but I think what I hear again and again is that women are just looking for things that are more unique, more special to them. They're no longer looking to just follow the trend and have the same thing as everyone else. We're all looking to fulfill something inside of us. You know, there's been sort of a reawakening of, of what our, our values are and what our priorities are. Oh, hundred percent. And I also think that, you know, to your point, you know, and, and you have incredible style for those that don't know you and, you know, you put it together in a way which is so kind of gorgeous and, and, and fun and compelling and chic and all sorts of things thrown in there, you know, and you have your own unique way. And I think this is something that's come up on, on some of our discussions on these podcasts, like just being oneself, right. And embracing being oneself because we are all different and, you know, we really need to celebrate that. And I guess a beautiful dress or a beautiful watch or a piece of jewelry can really help people to feel more confident about themselves. It's not just having something beautiful. There's a power intrinsically in that piece of jewelry, right. And you connect people to that power in themselves, which I think is incredibly, incredibly fundamental. Reda, tell me, talking about this year that's been, uh, you know, that we're all thankfully, thank God, all coming out of, uh, hopefully stronger, better and happier and kinder to one another and the earth. Um, why do you think there's been a growth? Like what have, what's been happening in your business? Have sales gone up? Have um, sales for certain pieces gone up? Are there any trends within the different collections that you offer and have in the market that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, it's been a crazy year when COVID first happened. I thought for sure, well, I'm a little startup. This company is going to probably have to close and let, I'm going to hold my breath and let's see what happens. Um, around Mother's Day 2020, 
Mother's Day is different here in the U.S. than for you. I think it was. Oh, and it's different everywhere. Seriously, I was in France at the weekend. It was it was the French Mother's Day on Sunday. But anyway. oh, was it? <laughs> it's May here in the United States, and I was I was in lockdown, and all of a sudden, just my Shopify orders. I was getting you get this little ping, ping or it's like a cha-ching kind yeah, of sound, yeah, and like yeah. going off, and. I was running around trying to find UPS boxes. There's a UPS box shortage and everybody's emailing me. They need these pieces for Mother's Day and, you know, trying to figure out how I can fulfill all these orders. And it was sort of, you know, extremely stressful, but extremely exciting. That was the first sort of glimpse that I had that, okay, like, People want jewelry. You know, we have a really important holiday coming up. We want to mark this in a really special way this year. And this is, you know, people are coming to me to do that. So it was an extreme incredible. And really from then, it it just didn't stop. I think, you know, from my friends in the industry, we've all experienced similar things in terms of growth in this uh, contemporary jewelry world. Shells for me are how I communicate that meaning and specialness. I think a lot of us have really special connection to the beach. Um, We go there on vacation, we go with our families, we've had, you know, so many memories and, and it's a way that we maybe remember somebody we've lost or during lockdown, you can't see somebody in person, but you've maybe spent time with them at the beach, you send them a shell. Uh, And there's something really meaningful about it versus you know another sort of motif it hasn't been done and especially the the coffee bean shell is a really unique shell I think we see a lot of cowrie shells we see a lot of scallop shells but it's so special isn't it special one so um yeah I just can't emphasize enough you know how that ocean ocean theme has really resonated in fine jewelry this year incredible i think it's also as you say there's something something uh, very fundamental about it you know it's bringing us back to the source in a way and i guess this year people you know it's a lot of people have not been able to go home or they've not been able to, well, none of us have been able to travel. And, you know, typically people going on holiday or being at the beach, they haven't been able to do that. So perhaps these sorts of symbols are much more, even more powerful than we can actually imagine. Tell me, you know, I know you have a, a very busy schedule and in normal times you travel a lot. You travel to see clients, you travel to meet clients. Um, you know, in the early days you also have pop-ups, which can happen in the summer and so forth. How have you used the time this past year uh, differently, given that you didn't have all, all that travel for work? Oh, my gosh. It was hugely helpful for me to have to sit down in front of my computer every day because had I not had this year, I wouldn't be so primed to grow the business now. I, you know, We went through and did a really thorough financial plan. We have a model that would put any investment banker to shame and these are Go not wanted to do <laughs> no I did not want to do it I did it <laughs> and it was so incredibly helpful for me to really understand the nuts and bolts of my business and I don't know that I would have done it with the zeal that I did had I not had literally nothing else to do <laughs> uh, but I'm really excited because now I know that we're ready to you know, 
shoot off the ground. We're rocket ready to launch. We have a new collection coming. Fantastic. Well done. We Congratulations. Manufacture. We have our margins down. We have everything. We have our shipping down. We have our operations down. We have photography, photo shoot. Everything is so organized. Whereas, you know, before I was more flying off, off the seat of my pants. And this was the year that we really organized the business in a way that was going to last for the long term. And I just want to one moment uh, you asked trends of last year and one other thing that I am thinking of is people really loved personalizing things so for example maybe our bracelet would be done with uh, our thread and shell bracelet has little stones on the side people might request a birthstone or we recently did one with a little disc that had a special date and a message on it so there's been a lot of personalization to make things feel really really special and unique this year as well. So that's something we've seen a lot of. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think, I mean, I, I love that because then you can pass it on or you can gift it to, you know, your your children or your godchildren or a friend and it just makes it even more special. Tell me, looking out ahead, what are you excited about? So clearly you're all set for growth. You've grown in the past year, which is a big deal. Like let's not, you know, let's, let's sort of congratulate that one or you know celebrate that one rather congratulate you because that is a big deal because you always make me take a step back and say you've done this I always think of myself as in the thick of things and I don't take a moment and you always remind me to just like you know acknowledge what I've accomplished so oh it's massive it's massive and I'm you know I'm super psyched by you know I mean whilst I want to be in the in the moment today with you especially you know I'm super excited about the way forward so if you look out ahead you know the world's opening up you're going to be traveling again uh you know and I know that your travel has been you've been going to the Middle East you've been lots of different places previously. What are the couple of big items on your agenda that you're ex- you're all psyched about for the year that's ahead of us? Yeah, absolutely. We have two in-person truck shows coming up this summer, one's in East Hampton and one's in Nantucket. So I think those are really wonderful markets for us. And then really exciting, we were supposed to launch at a trade show called the Couture Show uh, last May, May 2020. It got canceled for obvious reasons. Like everything. (laughs) It is happening this year in August 2021. We are going to be Design Atelier, which is an area for emerging talent. And I'm just so excited to get out there and meet, not just make sales, but really meet my colleagues and be a part of the jewelry community. I think you know, one thing that was really scary when I started a company is I went from these corporate environments. I was at Sotheby's and I had, you know, thousands of people in the office every day that I took for granted seeing. And as soon as I launched on my own, there was no, no corporate Yeah, there's nobody, there's nobody, right? And I was so lonely at first, but what I've found is that it, People are, my peers have been just so supportive. And when I see somebody who's also starting out, we help each other. And it's just really not what I expected. I thought, you know, we're in New York, we're in fashion, it's going to be so cutthroat. But if you, 
you know, put yourself out there. People are really wonderful. So that's what I'm most excited about for the year is just serving and interact and be part of this community. And see people, right? I mean, it's such a different thing to be able to see and, you know, have that dynamism when you're in the same space. You know, I mean, I, I met someone um, the other day who's very close to me, but whom I hadn't seen for a very long time. And we met um, in one of the places that you and I go to when you're in London. And literally, I saw 10 people, you know, in the same place. And it was wonderful because, you know, I haven't seen them for so long. Uh, you Isn't know, so business nice contacts, friends, different people, you know. It's wonderful. And I think we need to get back together again. And I think, you know, there is so much to be gained by sharing and by giving, right? And I'm sure you're giving so much to other people who are, you know, taking a similar but their own path, right? And I think there's there's just so much to be learned doing that, right? Because it all comes around, I feel. Tell me, um, in terms of um, the biggest influences on your life, who or, or what would they be in relation to what you're doing today? In terms of jewelry design, you know, my my role model is a designer, Suzanne Belperon. She famously said, I think the quote is, my style is my signature. Um, Love that. That's yeah, that's something I'm constantly thinking about when I'm designing is it does this re- represent me? So you don't flip it over and, and look for the signature. Will you see this and know that, you know, this is Rena's point of view. And, you know, I think some pieces accomplish that more than others, but it's a really wonderful way to, for me to sort of frame when I'm designing, if it's, is this worthy of going into the collection? Because there's a lot of designs that happen and only a, a small fraction will I ever, ever show you all. Yeah, yeah. She, that, you know, that thought is constantly in the back of my mind. Um, and then in terms of business, I mean, you really helped me. I have to say, mm-hmm. first starting you. out, you know, put my goals down and, and not be afraid to say, I want something really big in my life. I didn't necessarily have an entrepreneurial spirit, as you know, I, or a really role model for that. So yeah, having you, you know, a few years ago, we, when I was in London and we worked together a little bit. You you helped me, you know, say, I, I don't, it's okay to have big goals. And, you know, you have to write down what you, what you need to accomplish to get there. And that was something that was really scary for me, but so important. So I, I often look back on those notes that I took that. Oh my God, listen, that went straight to my heart. You know, you're, you're just such a shining star in my life and, and that of so many people. So, you know, you're brilliant and you're just doing it. And I think the thing is, you know, often there are these titles, right? Like being an entrepreneur or being a founder or being a business person. And they can be overwhelming. Oh, I don't think of myself. You no, know, but I, people I'm don't, so right? Yes, I, I, I am. But people don't. I think I think it's because in life, you know, people seek out identity. It's like, you know, you're the CEO of whatever. That's your calling card, right? So it's a completely normal thing to want to have an identity. And, you know, I think some of the most incredible entrepreneurs that I've met just are just doing what they're doing. You know, they're not thinking about all of that. It's about really being in that process, about really giving something. It's about something really essential and intrinsic to who they are, like creating something or it could be a service. It could be a product of any kind. Right. But that's what drives them. And I think you're that person as well. 
you know, and you're incredibly modest, but you have to, you know, we're going to celebrate more, Rana, because it's so important. So listen, we have to wrap shortly, but I have two questions for you. Coming out of the corporate world, what was the most important learning you took from that that you brought into, you know, your business today and how you operate today? One thing is I'm extremely disciplined and organized. Yes, I'm a creative person, but I also have a really strong drive. And I think that's what made me you know, successful in a, in a corporate setting. I, I grew up as a ballet dancer until I was 18. And I thought for a really long time, that's what I was going to do with my life. And the concentration and drive and determination that that instilled in me at a really young age was just, you know, it's there. Yeah, incredible. And, you know, just that mindset has been very important to me. No, totally, because you carry it on, right? But I have one final question for you that I ask all my guests. If you could have coffee with anyone, past or present, who would that be? Well, probably Suzanne Velperon, who's my design inspiration. I would love to pick her brain. Either her or Wes Anderson, who is another right. that I adore. And I'm always thinking about that's another thing I, I think about a lot is creating an alternate universe within my brand and what that would look like. So he's somebody I also really admire. Oh, so me. interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, totally. And, you know, alternate universes, even when you'd see what's going on with augmented reality today and all of this coming into, you know, watch this space. You may be using it at some point very soon, you know? Yeah, well, we did. We have an Instagram filter that we developed during COVID. So on our Instagram, you can virtually try on our earrings. And that was extremely fun. That is so exciting. That is so exciting. And I think we're going to have more of that. So Rana, listen, it's been such a joy to see you and Reese, who's having a little nap. (laughs) I mean, such a sweetie pie, adorable. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your story and sharing that with many who will hear more and more and more about you as the months and years pass. I have no doubt on that at all. Thank you so much. No, listen, I love you forever. And I can't wait to see you in London very soon. As soon as we can book a flight. Exactly. Exactly. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Double Espresso with D, with me, D Sterling. If you enjoyed it, I'd love you to review and subscribe to the podcast so we can share these amazing stories with others. I'd also love to connect with you. So feel free to contact me via Instagram DM at D Double Espresso. Until the next time, au revoir.